Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi. Siri. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Kim Adams. And I'm Sharonik Boshu. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. Friends of High Theory, thank you so much for talking to us and listening to us this past year. Our audience has grown way beyond what we had expected when we started on this journey. If you like what we do, please consider rating us and writing a review on the platform you use to listen to High Theory. Many thanks in advance. Hello and welcome to High Theory. Today we are talking about Squid Game with Kyung Kim. Kyung, would you mind introducing yourself? My name is Kyung Kim, author of a new book, Hegemoning Mimicry, Korean Popular Culture of the 21st Century. And I also wrote a Zoom play, The Mass Debate, which is available on YouTube. What the heck is Squid Game? Squid Game is Netflix uh, drama that was uh, and still continues to be incredibly popular o- o- uh, over the internet uh, worldwide. And uh, it's based on a children's game that used to be played uh, in Korea. And uh, I uh, used to play it myself when I was younger also. Briefly, could you give us like uh, what the original game was about? Squid Game uh, introduces actually... Uh, I don't know, five, six different variations of children's uh, games. I think it, there, is, there is a definitive kind of squid game that in the, in the uh, if you actually watch the episode, it's the, it's the final episode where, where they play uh, kind of a jump, uh, skip kind of a game, uh, escape game, uh, sort of like a rugby uh, variation in Korea. And then uh, it also introduces uh, five or six different games like Dakji, you know, which is the flipping of the cards. Uh, to marbles, green light, red light. Um, all of these are, um, you know, uh, games that Korean children do play uh, that has been transformed into a very bloody, right, uh, competitive yeah. games that contestants, uh, sort of the disposable people, uh, yeah. quote-unquote, uh, do end up playing uh, in Korea. Quid Game is being talked about in the same conversation as uh, Parasite, which also, you know, was did amazingly well and the conversation about class critique in both of these cultural texts. So I was wondering if you can talk a little bit about, you know, what 
this particular moment in the history of Korean cinema is speaking to? I think the background of the two two contents, I, one is a feature film, Parasite, and Squid Game is obviously, I just said, uh, Netflix drama, uh, I right. believe nine episodes. Uh, incredibly similar in the ways in which it approaches uh, socioeconomic you know, problems that Korea faces because of you know intense competition that rises out of uh, liberal capitalism. And so that's the setting. And then, uh, you know, using that as a bleak kind of a backdrop, they unfold the drama, which mm. is focuses on, you know, the, the battle between life. Interestingly enough, not between haves and have-nots, but between right. two haves, which I think is very pivotal in thinking right. about uh, the deeper, profound issue of what uh, today's society is like. So my next question, and however you wanted to interpret it, which is how do we use Squid Game? I'm beginning to give talks on Squid Game that ranges from, I think, not just in terms of thematics and the content, obviously, yes. of, the, of the critique of neoliberal capitalism, but uh, thinking about today's culture that is about social media driven and how the streaming content, no longer the film, right, mm. uh, seems to be the, the strong, obviously, narratives that drive certain cultural engine worldwide. And what is it about Netflix that operates out of, you know, uh, as you probably know, 150 countries? Uh, why, right. What does a $500 million investment in South Korean film industry right now by Netflix mean? What does it mean that there is uh, global and local kind of politics being played out. All of those things, I think, you know, are mm. challenges that people want me to address uh, right. when it comes to understanding of Squid Game. Within the Korean film industry in Korea, not, you know, Korean uh, movies as is propagated outside Korea, in Korea, outside of Netflix, uh, how are those same conversations about class critique happening? Korea has always been... Uh, very driven by class inequalities and a critique of neoliberal capitalism in South Korea, right? Obviously, right. Uh, North Korea is a whole nother different uh, set of uh, issues. Uh, South Korea, uh, South Korean stories have, have always been propelled by, okay, uh, there is this kind of uh, frustrating irritation, you know, uh, that has to do with inequalities. How do we address it? And I think Korean cinema, especially, has been one of the vehicles to introduce some of the stories that uh, arise out of this, um, you know, uh, social injustice, if you will. Chris had uh, a, a very long tradition in this, and it's it's because Korea's always been perceived as this kind of country of outsiders, you know, a sort of shrimp that is caught between two whales. You know, right. that you've got China, Japan, Russia, and then, you know, now United States, a heavy player over the last 75 years. And always perceived itself, you know, to be David, you know, that is that is uh, that has to go up against Goliath. That's, I think, what drives some of these stories uh, mm. to be, again, you know, a fair, uh, fairly, uh, uh, you know, a, a plausible stories about, again, a battle. Uh, that is happening uh, between haves and have-nots and, you know, different kinds of uh, uh, issues of social injustice, right? My final question is, how will Squid Game save the world? It can't, but, you know, uh, you know I mean, nobody uh, 
or you know, not many people who actually watch this uh, Netflix series will, at the end of the day, you know, finish the episodes and go, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up a copy of uh, Das Kapital, you know, Karl Marx, <laughs> right. uh, and uh, become communist. That's I don't think what is likely to happen. More likely to happen is you know they'll they'll go to Amazon site and and order themselves, you know different merch that is out there available on squeaking costumes, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, savoring in and, and cashing in on more, you know, capitalism. But yeah. I am hoping, I mean, at least it, it starts a conversation. I'm, I'm ha- this is like a, you know, 20th interview that I'm doing on squid game. Okay. And, and, um, and I've done, I mean, this is probably, I, I don't do very uh, many uh, podcasts, mm. but I do a lot of, uh, you know, mainstream media. And so right. even in mainstream media, I would say, well, they, they'll ask me, uh, is this a critique of neoliberal capitalism? And I'll say yes. So there's a recognition just on those very terms that it, you know, it's not a, it's not a complete cop out. Uh, it, it is, yeah, variation of these kind of survival, you know, game format. Uh, narratives, right. dystopian yeah. narratives, if you will, you know, of the Hunger Games and whatnot. So you got you got that going on, but there's definitely right a real sense of okay, this is not right, yeah. So uh, hopefully uh, it it does you know make us better aware of the inequalities that are out there, and you know perhaps uh, start a conversation is what I'm what I'm thinking that it has the power to do. Absolutely. So I know that I've asked you questions about uh, Squid Game, but I can't let you go without. Asking you about your new book, Hegemonic Mimicry. We will, of course, link the book in the show notes. But what can you tell us about hegemonic mimicry, Korean popular culture of the 21st century? Well, in a uh, hundred words or less, <laughs> I, <laughs> sure. would, I would say that it is a book trying to understand why Korean popular culture out of different national popular cultures that have been out there outside of uh, Anglo-American right, popular culture mm. have been probably the most successful in the, in, over the last uh, 20, 20 years or so. You know, by far the most recognizable and visible popular culture, uh, even even though it actually does speak a language that is not English or Spanish or, you know, French, those major languages. Right. Uh, And it's not just K-pop that is probably the most famous among the Korean popular culture. But as you can see, there is, uh, uh, you know, at least. A handful of Korean films that are, that are, that have become uh, exceptionally popular, uh, and mm-hmm. almost uh, you know uh, a very common familiar name to uh, even average Americans. And uh, K drama, K cosmetics, you know, K food, all of those things uh, becoming obviously commonplace, you know, everyday encounters, even even in you know boondocks of America. So. Right. Uh, why and how it got there is uh, my primary concern in the in the book. It uses uh, two terms. Uh, since, since you you're running a more of a you know an audi- your audience base is more you know again high theory. I uh-huh. the term uh, is a combination of uh, a theory of hegemony that is uh, driven by you know Antonio Gramsci, mm-hmm. uh, which says. Uh, every uh, hegemony is, uh, you know, constructed through, you know, uh, negotiation uh, rather than coercion. And then uh, mimicry is a, a concept that I uh, 
gotten from uh, Homike Baba, which is post-colonial theorist who uh, right. argued yeah. that every time uh, a colonized tries to repeat and model him or herself after the colonial powers, uh, there's a there's a mimicking going on, but that mimicking always creates a gap or a disjuncture, right, between mm -hmm. um, the hegemonic, you know, colonizer and then, you know, the subjugated colonizer. Uh, I felt that over the last 75 years, uh, Korea has undergone a, such a, you know, in many ways, I mean, yes, post-colonial experience, but one that is neo-colonial experience also with Americans, right? Being uh, totally occupied, you know, militarily, economically, and culturally. And so this is one of the things that I thought was, uh, you know, theoretical rubric through which I can examine Korean popular culture and the success right. over the last, you know, 20, 30 years. Brilliant. And, you know, I can't wait to read the book. Thank you, Okyung, so much for coming to High Theory and talking to us about Squid Game and your book, and thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Patreon, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Sharonic Bosu manages our social media presence. Owen Quinn composes our theme music, and Kim Adams and Sharonic Bosu edit our audio. You can also find us at hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day.